Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So we want to do a we'll do a little bit of question and answer here as far as coronavirus, health concerns, and that kind of deal. If you have any questions, you can text it in six seven nine seven four on the text line. Uh, but my cousin is uh, my cousin is a doctor. Okay, he's a very good doctor. Apparently, look at his bio. My God, uh, Doctor Benjamin Raby. Okay, hey, uh, you hear me? Okay. I hear you great. Hey, there we go. Good to talk to you. Well, uh, my cousin is Dr. Benjamin Raby, and he is chief of the Division of Pulmonary Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. You are really the black sheep of the family is what we've learned <laughs> oh here today. God. Oh, my God. Uh, well, his team his team and others at Boston yeah, Children's but, but hold on a second. Okay. He's got a ring. He's got a ring. Yo, so... I got two. Why are you trying to shortchange? Yeah, I got two. 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 That's yeah. right. Well, his team and others at Boston Children's and Harvard are, you know, they've been gearing up to confront the coronavirus pandemic. So I wanted to get you on here and, you know, figure we could ask you a few questions. All right. Maybe get some answers. So first things first, what are your thoughts? on? You know, I hear there are some there's some doctors out there and specifically I keep hearing like from Dr. Drew. OK, everybody knows Dr. Drew. He used to do that Love Line show with Adam Carolla. Uh, he does the reality shows. There's some doctors like him where they're kind of downplaying how serious everything is right now. So when you hear about that, Benji, like, does that make you cringe? Like, what's your current stance right now on how serious we all need to be about everything? We we need to be really serious about it. I just hope he doesn't get it. That's, That's all I can say. I think people really have to be very careful and take this extremely seriously. Um... We haven't seen something like this in literally 100 years, uh, since the time of the Spanish flu back in 1918. Um, This virus spreads before people are symptomatic. Uh, You'll hear all kinds of rumors about, you know, what the timing is. The truth is people shouldn't be thinking so much in terms of timing and just thinking that this thing spreads without people knowing it, without people knowing that they're infected. And we know that while the vast majority of people, meaning about 80% of people, are going to get it, that are going to get it, are going to clear it and not really have any problems with it, 20% of people will get sick. And of those, about 10% are going to be in the hospital. And we're going to lose potentially a lot of people, um, particularly the elderly. It's a serious thing. And anybody in the media who is saying otherwise and physicians who are trying to speculate that this is not a big deal, it's no different than the flu, 
are really misinformed and doing a disservice to everybody. Now, you mentioned the timeline there and to not pay attention to it. I know that this strain of the coronavirus right now, we don't know much about it from what I understand because it's new even to the medical community. But I am curious to know, do we know anything about the timeline in terms of how long people are contagious for? Because I have heard all different things. I have heard a, a couple days to you know 35 days that people might be contagious for. And the reason I ask that, Doc, is because at this point, I think we're starting to trend in a direction where we're all going to be, you know, a person away. We're all going to know somebody who has tested positive for the coronavirus. And I think a lot of people are going to wonder, hey, I was around so-and-so three, four weeks ago. Am I in the danger zone or not? That's right. So uh, it's a really, uh, it's a very hard question to answer uh, because, like you said, we're just learning about this right now. Here's what we know for sure, okay? Number one, the virus spreads in what are called droplets, okay? So when we have infections that emerge from the lungs that are, that are um, you know, respirable, that are breathable, inhalable, they're usually passed in two ways. One is through droplets, where the virus is inside, like, droplets that, like, come from the moisture of your breathing, or they could be in uh, the sneeze or those types of things. And that's how coronavirus spreads. It's in droplet. The other way is airborne. And for airborne, that means the virus is floating without needing any droplets. Now, the good thing is, is that because coronavirus is droplet-based, the droplets are under the influence of gravity, and so they fall to the ground pretty quickly. So it's only within a few feet of someone that you can get infected directly uh, by that person. Okay, we we are not as concerned if you're across the room from somebody. We're not as concerned about the droplets getting all the way over to the other end of the room. If it was an airborne infection, it would be a different story. So that's the good news. The bad news about droplets is when they hit the ground or they hit the desk or they get on your skin, you can then touch other things and the droplets stay there. And we now know there's a study that was published two days ago in the New England Journal of Medicine that they have shown that the coronavirus is stable on surfaces for about 72 hours, so three days. Wow. Right? Aye, so that's aye, why aye. that's why it's really important to not, when you go out, to not be touching things that other people have touched. So door handles, uh, elevator buttons, uh, in the shopping, in, in the grocery store, the carts, you want to wipe those down or wear gloves. So that's the first thing. To get to the timing, very briefly, we, have, we know that people can be infected for up to seven days before showing symptoms. And we think that infectious infectivity, the ability to pass it on, probably starts pretty early. So it's bef- up to four, five to seven days before you start having symptoms. And then we think it's another 7 to 12 days after that that a person is infectious, okay? There are some reports that there are some people that will still have evidence of the virus even a month later, that, but we don't know yet if that, what we're seeing is live virus that could be passed on or if it's just remnants of the virus. So currently, we're working on the assumption that it's about 12 days. And so that's why you hear all this thing about two weeks. Okay. Where, where are we as far as 
the testing kits are concerned? Because Amber was telling me during the break here that was it South Korea you were saying? Yeah, that South Korea and the U.S., they both had their first confirmed case of coronavirus on the same day. Something like 250,000 people in South Korea have been tested for COVID-19 at this point, as opposed to 25,000 people in the United States. So what do we know? Time period. Yeah. So what do we know about that, Benji? Right. So the reason for the discrepancy is that South Korea. So first of all, South Korea is really different from almost everywhere else in the world, because South Korea, after the um, the swine flu uh, epidemic uh, a while back, be- being a neighbor of, of uh, China, they put into place this uh, plan that if ever something like this happened again, they would be able to act really quickly. So they got ahead of this faster than anybody else. And they used the first kits that were developed and were approved by the World Health Organization. Unfortunately, there was a decision made early on, and it's not clear to me exactly who made that decision, but that we weren't going to use World Health Organization testing here in the U.S. and that we were going to use the various kits that were going to be made through the CDC, uh, that ended up being a a mistake because the CDC kit, for some reason, it's not yet clear to any of us, uh, just didn't, uh, wasn't appropriate right at the get-go. So they had to call those back and start manufacturing again. We're now at the, so that explains the delay and why so few tests have been done. The really good news is, and this is, this is really good news, is that we've now ramped up in many cities Uh, through uh, both assistance from government, but also through various private companies that make um, microbiological and genetic testing, kits are being made available, and the number of tests that we're going to be able to do is really ramping up. So I can't speak for all over the U.S., but I know, for example, in Massachusetts, whereas we were only able to do about 400 tests a day two days ago, by the end of the week, by today or by Monday, we're going to be able to do several thousand a day across the state. Uh, so uh, so I think the same is going to be true elsewhere as well. Okay. All right. So I, I'm curious about this. Is it possible that the virus has been here longer than we know it's been here? Because I, I did see this one article that was discussing that there's been this uptick in people over the last few months before we had our first confirmed case in January, that even in November and December, there was an uptick of people in the U.S., particularly in certain areas like Seattle, going to doctors and to emergency rooms with flu-like symptoms and then testing negative for influenza A and B. And so some people are theorizing that they actually had COVID-19 and didn't know it because nobody was talking about it yet in this country. Do you think that's possible? It is possible. I think that it's a, it's unlikely that cases in early November could be attributed to that. But we'll we'll have to see that the granularity of that. That's going to take a while to figure out because we're starting to get a really good sense of what the timeline was in China. We know that the virus originated from there. The way we know that uh, is because of tracing the genetics of the virus as it as it mutates. And those mutations, by the way, don't make it necessarily more virulent or less. It's just a way of tracking uh, where the strains come from. So we know that the first cases and the first this first strain came from there. We think that it was in um, in uh, late to mid-December when those cases started to emerge. But it is very likely that the virus came here 
uh, in late December or early January at the latest. And I, I, I don't think that it would be unreasonable to think that there are some people who had symptoms that was related to this. But that actually just goes to the point that the vast majority of people who get this are going to have, you know, mild symptoms to none. And so while everybody's worried about getting it, it's really unlikely that any one person is going to um, really have a terrible outcome from it. Having said that, I, I think the really important thing for, for people to understand is who is at particular risk, uh, both for themselves and also to help other people avoid getting it. So we know for sure that this virus really uh, uh, makes uh, big problems for people over the age of 70 and really in their 80s. Um, if we look at things like ICU admissions and mortality rates, they are several times higher in the elderly compared to younger people, okay? So if you look at, at Italy, for example, right now, mm -hmm. the average age of people who are dying from this is uh, 78, 79 years old. Um, and that's very similar to what's been seen in China. And at the beginning of the outbreak here, one of the real uh, misfortunes was that the first cases were from an outbreak in a nursing home. And you can imagine what a virus like this would do in a nursing home yeah. where you have so many old people. So that's why it's really important for your young listeners to really protect their older family members by staying away from them. You know, it's, it's great to want to visit mom and dad. Don't bring everybody over to visit grandma and grandpa. Uh, video, you know, Skype with them, FaceTime with them. Uh, it'll do them a lot better than having people around. The older population should really protect themselves as much as possible. Finally, from, for the yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, and finally, from from a sports perspective, if I could fit in a sports question here, uh, when do when would you think it's going to start to become safe for for us to 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 get sports going again, either without fans in the arena? You know, we're, we're at a place where we'll test all the players before they start playing and bumping into each other. And then to eventually, when can we get to a point where we could start, uh, you know, filling up the arenas and stadiums again, do you think? Uh, right. I, I, so I don't know. Uh, I will say that I'm pessimistic, pessimistic that it's going to be anytime soon. Um, certainly, we, don't, we aren't going to want to have fans in an arena for multiple months, okay? Multiple months. Uh, I do not anticipate that we're going to see the NBA season uh, play out with fans, the, hot, the NHL season, no fans. Uh, baseball, it depends what they decide to do. And I, I would hope that by the fall we can get fans in the stands again for the NFL, but I really don't even know about that. What I will say in terms of players being able to play, in order to do that safely – and, you know, it's true we want to be entertained, but we also want to make sure that our, our sports, uh, you know, heroes are safe and, and, you know, able to entertain us in the future and take care of themselves and their families. We would have to have a system in place where you could screen very reliably on a regular basis to make sure that every player who's out there isn't themselves contaminated, infected, and potentially infecting their, their colleagues. So, and teammates. So 
Um, once testing is really readily available and we have no issues about demand for testing, uh, then we will have the luxury of potentially being able to test all the players on a very regular basis. And I think it would be great at some point to have that outlet because people are going to be at home and they need yeah. entertainment. We want to keep people safe at home. Amber, my, Zazzler, co- my cousin's cousin, very smart. Listen, Zazzle, tell your cousin he's going to about to. He's a very busy man, he's it sounds very like. He's smart. very important, but uh, he may need to be a weekly guest because we're going to run out of material here <laughs> based on his projections there for sports. I do have one very quick question because we have been asked uh, questions on the text line. I just wanted to get to this one because I know people are curious yeah, about this. Ahead. Can you be infected with this twice or do you build up an oh, immunity? Oh, good question. Oh, such a good question. Such a good question. So. You know, there, there, first of all, I will say it's really hard with the, the Internet today. There's so much information out there, and it's really hard to know what's right and what's, what's not. Um, this is a question we are still struggling with a little bit. I think we're very, very hopeful that for this round, that like this particular virus, that the vast, vast majority of people will respond to it the same way we respond to almost every other virus, And that is when you get it, you develop an immunity to it and so that you can't get reinfected with it. Okay, that's what we're hoping for. And I would imagine that for the vast majority of people, that will end up being true there. You will hear cases about people who get it a second time because there is a very small proportion of the population that just naturally they just have a tough time building up an immunity to any virus. And. So there will be cases like that. And then if that is really the exception and not the rule, you can imagine how quickly that's going to get blown up on the Internet. So we don't know for sure yet, but we now are starting to be able to do the testing to be able to demonstrate, in fact, that we are developing good immunity to this. And that's the whole basis for developing a vaccine. Benji, excellent job. I think you are now uh, our show doctor. How do you feel about that? Uh Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, Any time. I, I will say uh, I was a little bit disappointed that when I'm sitting there on hold, you're talking about all my boys leaving town oh. here. Um, it's our but, turn to have uh, the last laugh, okay? It's our turn. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot, Benji. I appreciate yeah, you. You guys you guys say stay safe. All right. Thanks. There you go. Yeah, bye-bye. Take care. Yeah. Well, it, is, it is funny that it's taken Zazlo all these years to reveal that he has family in Boston. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not mm. true. I've said that before. I've totally Very said Boston. that. Mm. I've totally mm. said Very that. Boston. I've stayed with him. I stayed with him uh, like when I saw Pearl Jam up there mm. at Fenway. Mm. I don't think I, I knew no, that. No, no. So, again, that's my cousin. He's Dr. Benjamin Raby. He is the uh, chief of the division of pulmonary. The chief. I know, he's a pulmonary medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. Benji, as you call him. He also teaches at Harvard. Yeah, that's very unprofessional of me, right? Very unprofessional. Well, he's my cousin. I don't call him doctor, okay? He's my cousin. It's Dr. Benji to you. Yeah, you know? All right, so there you go. Again, uh, he knows what he's talking about there. Very important. All right, so thanks to him for spending a few minutes with that. That's a great question, though, because do you uh, can you can you possibly get it twice? Because there's this philosophy out there that I that I have seen also uh, infectious disease experts discuss that what does happen here with these infectious diseases is that there is somewhat of a natural correction also because as people get infected, then they build up an immunity. And as more people get infected, then there's an immunity. So at some point here anyways, there's a natural slowing of transmittance of viruses because of the immunity. But with COVID-19, there seems to be conflicting information about uh-huh. whether you would actually build up an immunity to it or not. I Most told you. medical experts believe you would. 
I've told you it was such a weird thing when I was a kid growing up before they had a, a vaccine for chickenpox. When I was growing up, so we're talking 35 years ago, okay, if if someone you knew, kid had chickenpox, we had like a chickenpox party. Where yeah, that was the 80s, baby. That was a wild times. You'd bring your times. kids over to that house to so that they could also it. get the chicken pox. So they just get it out of now the way. Now just a vaccine. Like, why didn't they just do that back it then? It seems, so, I remember, it's it like seems so abuse. cruel. It I is. remember my mother having a conversation because our neighbor's daughter had chicken pox. And the thought was they were going to bring me over there to infect me. And I'm like four or five years old at this point. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, this, this is this is awful. Like, you're going to bring me over there so I can get chicken pox also. Now, she didn't end up doing it. I ended up getting chicken pox when I was 17. And really got sucked. on a plane yeah. and flew exactly. home from Montreal. But that's how we used to do it when we were young. We'd have chicken pox parties. I remember my mom was a nurse. I got chicken pox when I was like four years old in the Bahamas. She's like, good. And I was like, what you mean good? Yeah, what you mean you good? can't get it again. I had chicken pox. I remember very clearly. I was probably like six. I got chicken pox and my mom was overseas traveling in China. And my dad was out of town. And that was like a very traumatic experience for me because I didn't have my parents and they definitely didn't bother to fly home for it. Man, chicken pox. They were like, so and bad. what? <laughs> we went through it, now you're going through it, you'll be just fine. Yeah. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.